Hello everyone. You're probably wondering where we've been for the last couple of months. Short answer, lots of different things. Some personal, some technical, knocked us off track. I won't go into all the reasons in detail, but one issue was that PodPage, where we used to have a website, stopped offering a free service, and we are unfortunately not a podcast that can afford a paid web page, any more than we can afford beef with our bell peppers. We are currently working on a new site, but for now you can find us at our hosting platform, Red Circle. Another reason for delay came from trying to resolve a technical challenge with this latest episode. While we were recording, our neighbour's chihuahua was yowling away. Listening back to the recording, the sound was incredibly loud and annoying, and I realised that I could not in good conscience subject your ears to it. I've now managed to produce an edit with most of the yapping noise removed. This did mean at times that I had to compromise the quality of our audio. I hope this doesn't affect your experience too much. As Spike would say, whatever happens, happens. I hope you enjoy our discussion of Sympathy for the Devil. Hello, and welcome to The Real Folk Reviews. I'm Samuel, and I first saw Sympathy for the Devil about 15 years ago. And my name's Georgie, and I first saw this episode about an hour ago. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Sam, in this episode, we see someone playing a harmonica quite a lot. And I was wondering if you thought that was the bluesiest, most depressing instrument, or if there's another one you can think of. For bluesiest, yes. For most depressing, (laughs) um, I mean, accordions depress me by their existence. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why do accordions depress you? I think they're quite fun. I like the movement of them. Yeah. No, there is something satisfying about the fact that you squeeze it and play it, but there's just something about them. Just the instant I hear an accordion playing, I want to punch somebody. Oh, really? I think I feel that way about bagpipes. So we have an opening scene. What do you think is going on in that scene? Well, to start with, I wasn't sure if it was to do with this episode specifically like a character we hadn't met yet because quite often you have scenes that are setting us up for what's going to happen so I wasn't sure if it was that or if it was a memory of Spike's but then I had no idea why it would be a memory of Spike so I disregarded that option pretty quickly and assumed it was something to set us up for this episode with a character we haven't yet seen. And did that change as the episode went on how you interpreted it yeah yeah yeah. well because we find out that the main character in this episode ostensibly looks like a child and the body we see on the surgical table in the opening sequence is certainly a fully grown adult yeah it's it's spike yeah but the color scheme of that opening section it's all washed out in green light and green is very much when's color yes yeah and when being the uh, the creepy child monster the, thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that guy. Uh, but there was a lot of focus in that opening bit on the eye. 
Yes. And yes, yeah, so you have all of these pincer things kind of keeping the eye open. And then there's this what looks like a mechanical eye. And then there's a whole a shelf filled with jars containing organs. And one jar was just like a blue globe floating in it, which made me think it was like, this one's going to be an eye. We need to fill this jar with an eye for some reason. But I didn't. Yes. I, I, I mean, ostensibly, I don't know what's going on. I'm just packing that away for later. No, yeah, that's completely reasonable. It's fairly trippy. Yeah, I, I definitely read the globe in the jar and the eye as different faces of the same thing as well. Mm. There seemed to be something going on with point of view, where at times you seem to be kind of from the perspective of the person on the table looking around the room at these instruments, and then at times you seem to be looking down at the table or... Yeah. Or through the water of the jar so yes and there was a fish there was a fish for some reason yeah like is this inside one of the jars or is there an aquarium right next to the jars i got very confused about where the fish suddenly appeared from yeah i'm i'm not sure where the fish currently is (laughs) okay there's a lot of technical equipment and machines and stuff but it looks very black market it doesn't look like a well-organized lab there's all these mess of tubes and things oh, I, I don't know if i noticed that i think i i assumed on some level that it was some secret experimentation facility that might be well funded oh yeah by that i didn't necessarily mean it's not well funded i just meant it didn't seem it's not uh, official yeah it didn't <laughs> seem like a hospital it seemed like yeah, like you're saying, like some oh, sort yeah, of secret yeah. I mean, facility. It certainly thing. didn't seem like they were trying to take care of the person on the table. No, yeah. The, the Whether reason... or not they entered willingly into this process, we don't know. But either way, it wasn't for health reasons he was on that table. Well, yeah, we don't necessarily know enough to determine what it was for. Yeah, but but um... if it is Spike and they're doing a lot of work on this eye, we've never had any indication that Spike's eyes are anything but normal. Uh, not. Yeah, we haven't at this. You were sorry. about to say not yet. No, I wasn't. Yes, he was. What are you talking about? Okay. <laughs> well, we have Looking now. Shifty. I mean, in this episode. Yeah, now you have to keep it in again because okay, I'm doing fine. this. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for the very final shot, the eye perspective seems to move in onto Spike's body, like it's maybe being inserted. So there's almost this sense of two consciousness is merging and then we have the uh gasping wake up but then you're very rapidly straight into the scene of the episode proper as it were yeah. where he's sat in a bar looking sad and listening to harmonica music which is already there in the trippier mm. hospital a bit yeah and i do really like the harmonica stuff it very easily creates atmosphere yes yeah although because I've only ever heard this music and think of this scene when I hear this music. I wonder whether the music is inherently creepy or whether it's non-specifically emotional in a way that the creepiness of the scene just bleeds into really easily. Well, the thing for me, though, is that because the music is... It's not outright creepy. It's a juxtaposition with what you're watching. Yes. So it's making it more surreal, which for me as a viewer who doesn't enjoy creepy, it helped me to dissociate from that. For me, the harmonica creates a sense of intrigue rather than a sense of creepiness. Okay. So I'm actually able to watch it with 
yeah, more detachment. Otherwise, I'd be going, eh, someone's poking at someone's eye because I think it's a universal experience. People don't like the idea of pointy things going near their eyes. No. So no. yeah, I, th- I thought the harmonica undercut that in a way that I appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that fits in a lot with the tone of the show in general. It never forces you to feel like something is deeply unpleasant, I don't think. It does quite a good job of making it more entertaining. Okay. Yeah, I guess if it if this scene was just playing out in silence or with a more Much traditionally worse. creepy scene. Well, I don't know. It's definitely different. I'm not sure if it's... I maybe take it the opposite way, that this thing isn't inherently creepy. It kind of blurs the line between normality and this strange experience a bit which makes it maybe a bit more unsettling Mm -hmm. for me it's it's definitely a personal mileage thing on that Mm, yeah and they don't let you linger and think about it either way no no you're straight into the the story you get no further explanation on that yeah you go straight to being in this bar this blues bar with the harmonica playing on stage by this yes child as it appears it feels like a scene that's much more intimately about spike until a few seconds later when you see that jet's there as well and they're actually looking for a mark but it's that separated by the title card comes up so you, you kind of get that clean break and yes spike seems a lot more relaxed at that point the plot actually begins now. Spike and Jet are pursuing Giraffe, who is called Giraffe for some reason. Yes. Uh, there's also a zebra. Yes, there's a zebra <laughs> and a giraffe. Yeah, talk about things that undercut the sinister vibe of the episode, the fact that those characters are named that. Yeah. Although before we see that, we actually have that very brief moment with Faye up on the ship eating dog food. Oh, yes, of course. I think they're just ticking over her character, just making sure she's still present. We're just not ready to do anything much more with her at the moment. She's just a hanger-on on the ship, ostensibly not being given <laughs> much attention mm. and feeling a little bit bitter about it and taking it out on the dog. But well, she... only in the sense that she's taunting the dog by eating his food. I mean, that is pretty mean. It's... It is mean. Poor Ein. Poor Ein. Poor little doggy. Poor Corgi. But insisting that she has the right because she's grand by birth. Yes, as a woman. Yeah. Yes, she is grand by birth. <laughs> That's what they say in the in the Japanese subtitles. I think in the English, it was... Um, Women are delicate and refined, yes. she says, just before chowing down. down. <laughs> yes, so <laughs> back on the surface of Mars, Jet has to intercept a rival bounty hunter, Fatty River, which is... Appears to be a name he's comfortable being called. Yes, it does seem that way, doesn't it? Maybe a a minor jet black space dad moment of the two of them greeting and you know the kind of two older guys being like, oh ho ho, hello, that uh, I remember you and da, 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 that kind of very posy, yes, blokey introduction. But then uh, just before he goes over, you know, shouts Fatty as a distraction. He doesn't seem like he wants to engage with Fatty. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, a bit yeah. like, ugh, he's here, and then he's like, well, gotta cause a distraction. I'll put on my smile, Fatty. Let's, oh my god, it's been so long. Let's pat each other on the back and make weird jokes about our dad's genitals. <laughs> yep. Ah, uh, yes. That's that's kind of what I meant. Like, it doesn't seem like these two people are actually friends, but they both feel like they have to perform that role. Yes. Which... I think that probably... I'd struggle to find a Jet Black Space Dad moment in this episode because, well, we don't see him very much in this episode. No, he's, he's not in it that no, much. No, so I think if I had to pick one, it, that would probably be it. Yeah. Yeah. 
you do have to pick one. It's uh, it's a requirement. A requirement. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, then I pick that. Excellent. So making awkward dad jokes with another man about the same age. Yep. There we go. Jet's taken out Fatty for the moment. Spike pursues Giraffe. There's lots of lurking and looking over shoulders and sneaking through hotels. And we see the person in a sort of wheelchair being lifted into the taxi with the child. Because um, we hadn't seen them as a unit up until that moment when we're following Zebra. Yep, so you know they're together. You don't really know why. I guess at this stage you probably assume that the person in the wheelchair is the one in control. Yes. And they end up in the hotel. And then we have our second defenestration in a row. Yay! Gotta love a good good cowboy bebop defenestration. Oh, I love a defenestrate. But Giraffe doesn't seem to appreciate it as much. No, yeah, given that he's the one being defenestrated. It's definitely one of those things where it's usually more more pleasurable for the person defenestrating than the person being defenestrated. But yes, what we see prior to that is that Giraffe breaks into the hotel room and is pointing a gun at the man in the wheelchair and the child, air quotes, and then we just see from the exterior the same person that was holding the gun, the one who's being thrown out the window. And Spike catches him on his ship, makes this landing on this very... Like Superman and Lois. Yes, exactly. Um, except in this case, Lois is not going to survive this experience. No. So yeah, he lands and poor old giraffe is croaking out his last and then he says, don't be fooled by his appearance help him were you suspicious of what you were being told at this point or yes this i think i did that that moment i really enjoyed that it was giving me moments to be intrigued and i felt that actually throughout this episode Mm. there, there were moments when i felt like i had questions that i wanted answered in a very pleasing way as a viewer and that was one of them yes Mm -hmm. yeah and of course he gives spike the ring there's lots of shots in this episode and th- this one of Spike leaning over Giraffe's body is one of them where the camera slowly zooms out from our protagonists making them look smaller in this increasingly big world around them. Oh, yeah. I think I missed that. So it's yeah, when all the police cars are like yeah. shining a light on I, I remember the police cars being yeah. hovering over the... I remember that bit. Is that the bit you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but okay. there, there's other points in the episode like when Spike wakes up in the bar it does it later when he's looking over the pile of blood that he's shot out of when it zooming mm-hmm. out on him there mm. so next we're just on to analyzing this ring analyzing the rock on yep. the on the ship and they're talking about selling the ring they all seem to think it's a good idea but then they don't and i wanted to ask you why do you think they don't just fence this ring why do you think they carry on i don't know because it does feel like we suddenly jump to something else that we don't really get the how that happened thing like spike is back following zebra and the child yeah but i don't remember them talking about that happening they're just suddenly back there and jet is talking to fatty and buying him a meal so they're investing cost in finding out the answer to this even though they all seem to agree that's not the profitable course of action yeah i didn't understand that (laughs) yeah i can't really remember no, there, there isn't a scene where they all agree to do that. They just start doing it. Which yeah. Is, it's up to you whether you consider that an interesting decision or just bad rice. Uh, well, like I said, this episode did 
give me lots of questions, but then the episode ended without answering some of the questions. Yeah. So, and yeah, and that is one of them. I was just like, what, we're, okay, we're there now. Fine, we've moved on. I'll just move, go with it. But yes, it certainly wasn't clear. But the, uh, the thing I have learned to accept about watching this show is that I just have to, I do just have to go with it. I can't try and second guess it. Because every episode is so different in style and edit, trying to dissect each one is so unique and sometimes pointless. Yeah. There isn't a pattern that I can see from that perspective. It's just each episode stands alone in terms of the style of it. The storylines are bringing other things together and they're connecting. But the the actual visual that you're being presented with could be anything anytime. And that's part of the fun of it. So you, you never you never know what's gonna turn up week to week. No. What would you say is the genre that's being played with this week? Ooh, um, what is the genre? And it doesn't have to be just one. It could be a mixture. Yeah, well, because you've got that sort of... There's little bits of horror. Yeah, definitely. And and I do think sometimes with horror, you aren't given reasons for things. No, that's true. And I think... It's more about the action. Yeah, we'll probably talk about this a, a bit later. But I think the the things we aren't given answers to, by and large, are uh, the more horror-y aspects of the episode. Mm. Because, yeah, it's never made entirely clear how, when functions. Yeah. I'd probably throw conspiracy thriller into that. There's a lot of people looking nervously over shoulders and uh, sitting in smoky rooms. And up until the confrontation in the warehouse between Spike and Wen, which we'll get to in a minute, there's this sense of something doesn't add up. There's something bigger going on here. Uh, yeah. That you get in a, and of course the trope of the person handing over the crucial small bit of information which begins the story that's yes. very conspiracy yeah and very much like the mysterious use of pronouns that leave room for doubt yes when it's your final breath you can say the name of the person <laughs> you're referring to yes you could yeah that would be quite yes helpful. when giraffe is you know dying and he's saying help him you could have said help zebra and that would have cleaned up some stuff pretty fast and yet we know that's not the convention so you know i'm not picking at that per se but but it's um it's just something that occurred to me when i was watching no we'll i'll make sure to pass that on to giraffe so he knows next time he dies to communicate a bit better yes exactly yeah it's an important (laughs) message you're trying to pass on you're trying to help your friend and and you you do a shit job frankly yeah tragedy Mm -hmm. um so we get all this information from Fatty and stuff about the disbelief that it was basically a turf war of some kind between Zebra and Giraffe. I would probably don't need to pick into that in too much detail because it basically all turns out to be wrong, or at least irrelevant. Mm. This interesting Jet's reaction to it, where he's believing that these two have betrayed each other and one of them wanted revenge, and he says, Betrayal may come easily to women, but men live by iron codes of honour. Yeah. Yes. Um saying it to a woman, which at least, I guess, shows he's not shy of his opinions. If... But his, why, why does he have such a problem with Faye? Why do... It's his dislike of Faye I find more surprising because he's meant to be so rational and nice. He, he is nice to most other people, isn't he? And yeah, then really and he just not really to... takes issue with Faye. Neither of them are being particularly nice to Faye. Do you have a reason, do you think, why he's like that with Faye? Or... Um... I think possibly he's a bit 
jealous of her presence that he, she's sort of stealing focus from his friendship with Spike. Yeah. Um, possibly. Uh, I think he doesn't trust her. Mm. I don't know why he doesn't trust her so much. I think because I this came up in the last recording we did, and I can't I can't quite remember what we concluded about it. He he argues against going to rescue Faye from the cathedral. Yeah. Although his comment about men and women actually doesn't really seem all that directed to her. Here. No, and it's... he does immediately follow because when Faye questions it, he says, "I want to believe that." Yeah. Which was interesting because I think he wants to believe more that men have honour more than he wants to believe that women don't. That's what I took from that. Yeah, but he he likes having that line and that hard definition. I think mm. that's kind of what I'd say at this stage is a big part of the source of tension in them is that he defines himself as everything that Faye's not responsible and honourable and, you know, yeah. decent and doesn't think that she's got that in her. Yeah, whereas she's flighty and impulsive and yeah expressive. And greedy, which honestly I think Jet is as well, but he wouldn't like to admit it to himself. Um, that's a line to remember because there'll be a lot more info that's kind of germane to that that we get as to why what he might think that way. Right. We have the scene, well, that we're cutting back and forth between Spike and Faye and Jet on the ship doing some more research and Faye being quite helpful. So yes, they're pointing yes, out, you know, is. have you looked at the date on this in newspaper cutting from 30 years ago when this child looks exactly the same? Yeah. Yeah, she blows the whole case wide open, really, doesn't she? Yeah. So we then have this confrontation in the warehouse with this whiteout lighting on Spike and when standing in the shadows and yeah. and he, he speaks for the first time, we hear. Yes. This is one creepy-voiced child. <laughs> we have when explaining to Spike what his deal is, basically. Yeah, that he is not a child at all, um, but has been, has existed since when humans crawled on the earth. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting translation difference. Because in the dub, he says, I was alive when this place was an outpost before the asteroids were even settled. Whereas in the sub, he says, I've been alive since the days when humans only crawled on the face of the earth, like he said. Mm. Which I found that interesting because the dub one seems like I've been alive for a really long time. Mm. The sub one kind of seems almost more mythical. Yeah. Like he's... Um, Millennia. Yeah, yeah. And also like he's not human, that he's referring to humans yes. almost as a separate category. And then we get a flashback to him looking very much more human. Yes, like a little cute boy in a little polo shirt and shorts. Yes. Playing really... the harmonica for his mummy and daddy. Um... Yeah, it's adorable. Very briefly adorable. And then... Mm. Explosion! Yeah. They are alive, but they're, they are just curled in the dead, charred arms of their parent. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very grim, isn't it? Yeah. Just before this scene starts going bad as well, because it's all in like these pastel colours. It looks very idyllic, the colour scheme. Is. And it really makes you realise how much, up until this point, the episode has basically just been brown and grey and smoky. Everything's looked aged and old and worn, whereas this looks kind of, you know, halcyon days of childhood. Yeah, yeah. It looks very kind of house on the prairie, actually. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the yeah. way that they're dressed in this, yeah, as you said, this idyllic um, greenery, beautiful trees and things in the background, a lovely yeah. blue sky. And pastel-coloured clothes yes, and, like and not, lots of sunlight. Yeah, but there doesn't appear to be any kind of civilization around them. You know, they're just in the middle of nature. That doesn't mean yeah. that there isn't civilization where they are, because clearly the way they're dressed implies that there is. But then we 
hear when explaining that the gate exploded and it seems as though it made a ginormous crater on the planet where he was. Well, yeah, so it, it takes a big chunk out of the moon. And uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just clear up a couple of things. So th it's Earth where he is then. So it's Earth and the moon. Oh, um, so yeah, because I, yeah, I'd noticed there was Earth in the foreground. Yeah. And then the explosion happened on, yes, what looked like a moon. Yeah. Okay. So it's the gate between Earth and the moon. So basically what's happened is the gate has blown up a big chunk of the moon and kind of ravaged the surface of Earth. Mm. Um, and yeah, we'll, we will get to Earth at points, so we'll see a bit more about what it's like now. But technically, Cowboy Bebop is a post-apocalyptic work of fiction. <laughs> that image of the moon, we start the episode with somebody looking up at this mysterious orb thing. And then we yeah. also have this in the middle, the moon looks similar to the eye. I, that kind of made me wonder whether... So Spike talked in the opening episode about having died once. Yes. Before. And yes. Wen has kind of been through a similar experience. So that kind of made me wonder whether... Because we hear the harmonica playing in that opening scene with Spike, whether something in the sound of Wen's harmonica playing, which obviously has this very specific resonance and connection for Wen to that moment in his life whether it activates something in Spike, like that memory, something he can pick up on that only he'd be able to pick up on because of the shared experience. Mm, yeah, and that would actually shed a different light on what he says right at the end of the episode as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We have Wen explaining his origins and yes. saying, yeah, from the day that this explosion happened, he hasn't aged at all. Um, and we don't know exactly how many years that has been, but it's certainly quite a lot. Um, and he explains how Zebra... He has sort of Actually, claimed... sorry, just a second. Yeah. I know how long it's been. I know what year this is. What? <laughs> I know what year the gate explosion happens. Okay, and what year are they in now? Oh, so the year they're in now is 2071, but the year of the gate explosion, 2022. That's a shame. Yeah, so, yeah, it looks like we survived. But so between 2022 and 2071, yeah. that's only, you know, 50 years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, maybe this is a good point to discuss... What what do you think Wen is? I mean, everything suggests he's human, mm. but for him to have said he's lived that long, has he like moved through time in other ways or something? But because, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, what else can he be? I don't know. Yeah, it's I don't think there's like any sort of concrete answer you're going to get, but he seems very removed from humanity in a lot of ways. Yeah. When the transformation scene happens, he goes from smiling happy child to this complete dead-eyed monstrous stare immediately yes. it's very unsettling yes he does yeah right. i mean i'm not saying he should still be happy at that point but you'd expect <laughs> like screaming or crying or uh, well i mean i just i would just expect that to be shock yeah you you could read it that way that you know that kind of makes sense as well but it doesn't i don't get the impression from the way he looks then compared to the way he looks in the present time frame. I mean, I have kind of a pet theory on this, which is that he is, like with the merging of the consciousness of the eye and Spike at the beginning, this is a kind of merging of consciousness between this child who plays the harmonica and kind of some sort of spirit of the disaster. So all the sort of death and destruction and fear of that, or, you know, cruelty uh, of that moment coalescing into... That's a very interesting person. thought. Yeah, because it does seem as though... Up until he dies, he doesn't seem to have any remorse. He doesn't seem to give a shit 
that he's still alive. You know, no. he seems to be kind of enjoying it, really, and just having to figure out how to make other people, like, let him stay alive. But then as soon as he is dying, he's very grateful to be. Yes, yeah, which there's definitely other things that seem to indicate he's there's more than one personality at play there possibly but like you were saying his kind of callousness the way he moves in the warehouse and the way he shoots at spike it's very clumsy and careless and i mean no clumsy is not really the right word it's because clumsy implies he can't control it it's more just like he has absolutely no fear that he's going to lose and so Mm. isn't really thinking about what he's doing yeah yeah he doesn't care if he gets shot no um and he doesn't care that much if he hits spike it's just kind of fun to shoot at him Yes. And this, of course, is actually the moment when Spike understands that the person who's actually in trouble is Zebra. Yes. After we have this shootout where Spike does successfully shoot when in the head, but we see that the body disappears. Well, there is no body. No. He has gotten away. There's lots of blood. More more blood than so I would have thought much blood. would be in a person, <laughs> a to be honest. A huge splash of blood. Um, Unless they're doing some very strange perspective trick on that. Yeah. Spike goes to look for a body that isn't there and then we're back on the ship with Zebra and they're trying to yeah, figure out what's happened and they use the Alpha Catch? Yes. Alpha Catch yeah. to look into his, his memories. Yeah. We Wait. don't learn anything from that memory. Like, it's such a pointless scene. Oh, that's, that's an interesting... It, narratively, it we kind of is. We learn nothing about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess everything you technically learn, you've already assumed. Yeah, very much so. All we see in his memory are the moments just before Giraffe got thrown out the window, where we already knew he'd been shot and there was no one else in that room. Yeah, I guess the first time seeing it, you probably assume it's Zebra that shot him before you see this memory. But by the time you've got to this memory, you've figured out that it must have been when. Yeah, so I don't know what that added to anything. So for me, it explains a little bit why Spike is so determined to hunt down. And the crew all seem horrified by seeing this experience. And you see the tears coming out of Zebra's eyes. It gives you a sense of the human cost of Wen's behavior and maybe why he needs to be stopped. I guess, but I thought we had already established that. I thought we already knew all of those things. That didn't add anything for me at all. Okay, fair enough. It was just agree to disagree. Or yeah, that. apparently so. That's yeah. fine. I think maybe I'm just more sentimental than you. <laughs> you be... You're definitely more sentimental about this show than me because I have no reason to be sentimental when I've seen it an hour ago. That's true. It's not going to bring back memories. No. Other than of an hour ago. I will agree with you that it creates more empathy for Zebra. Mm. But then we never see him again. Yeah, that's it. Also, just an aside, Zebra and Giraffe, they're a couple, right? (laughs) I don't know how to answer that. We have no evidence to say that. Well, other than the very intense emotion they seem to have for each other. I mean, very, very good friends can have that. And his friend has been chasing him to try and save him. And I don't think you need to have a romantic relationship for that to be very true. I mean... And if you've been trapped like that for 10 years, you're going to get pretty emotional. Yeah, I guess. It just, it just like the the way it looks on Zebra's face, it just looks like he's utterly heartbroken by seeing Giraffe get killed. And equally, you know, those last words of help him. Maybe it's romantic, maybe it's not, but there's definitely a lot of love there. Yeah, it could well be romantic, but I don't think you have any evidence to support one way or the other. other it, either way, they have a lot of affection for one another, as you say. Yeah. So we've had the Alpha Catch replaying the memories and we know exactly what happened, even if we were assuming it before. And they also know the ring 
is the condensed energy of the same singularity that gave Wen his yeah. abilities. Um, make of that what you will. Coincidences, ooh, handy. And this I, ring they fashion into a bullet. A very, very nice, pretty bullet. It's a very sparkly bullet. It looks kind of like a lipstick. Like, I, got a pink pointy bit at the end. Yes, it does, yeah. The deadliest lipstick mm. of all time. There is kind of a, a bullshit sci-fi explanation. Yes, so given. bullshit sci-fi. But there's, I, I almost think maybe that's deliberate. Like, even Jet doesn't seem like he believes what he's saying when yeah. he explains it. Yeah, I think he follows it up with, like, and that's the theory anyway. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to go with it and see if this bullet does the job. But I think that maybe lends more credence to the idea that there's something more supernatural or metaphorical going on with mm-hmm. when that he can't just be explained by science. Because also, like, if you stopped aging, that wouldn't make you immune to bullets, would you? I mean, even if you could at a stretch accept that this would stop somebody aging, mm. there's no way it makes you just I invulnerable. Guess, well, well, yeah, but I guess it could speed up healing. Ah, uh, maybe, but... He still, because when still gets hit by a bullet earlier spike does hit him with a bullet and it lands because you see him fall back in pain but maybe his body is able to regenerate really quickly i mean there's quickly and then there's like like it's not even a question of regenerating it's like the part of your head the part of you that controls everything being completely taken out and then you just regrow it in an instant yeah well as we, we we can't explain it. There's no way we can explain it. There is no way we can. No, but yes, yeah, so they have this conversation on the ship where they've established the only thing they think will work is hitting him with this bullet that was a ring that was the condensed energy of a singularity that had the things happen. So yeah, Spike loads his single impressive bullet into an equally impressive gun and prepares to leave. Uh-huh. And I thought this moment was interesting. Because he's, yeah, loading the gun and then you see him smiling and he says, I'm excited for this. Mm. And then moments after that, having a bit of back and forth with Jet, he says, I don't like this one bit. So, yeah, I don't like it one bit or I'm excited. Maybe there's an element in both of those of, I don't know if I'm going to come back from this. And that generates conflicting emotion in him. Yeah. And maybe Um, one said to himself and the other is said. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Could be. Also, you get more fuel for Spike and Faye's ship as, as she tries to persuade him not to leave. Yes, Faye just saying, this is stupid. Clearly, I'm not going to see you again. And then once he's flying away, she's just looking out the window going, men are idiots, which was interesting. <laughs> uh, it has to be said, it, it does appear to hold true in the Bebop universe. <laughs> uh, uh, there's definitely a lot more evidence for that than that men are bound by duty and honour. <laughs> so yes we have this final confrontation after that where we've got when just just casually shooting a taxi driver to get out of paying the fare as far as i can tell yeah that's like, i'm kind of laughing but it is quite an unsettling moment like it's so callous yeah and spike shoots the taxi it plows into this petrol pump and we have another epic bebop set piece of flames and <laughs> hand drums playing and you know not not harmonica interestingly in this no. that he gets up it's these hand drums which i guess drums are kind of they're quite no comment on people who play drums but they're kind of an inherently violent instrument you <laughs> by striking them yes i actually i watched pocahontas yesterday Oh, okay. And I don't know what you recall of pocahontas if you've watched it recently but the um scene that that's kind of the the climactic moment when you've got the two sides, you know, the Native Americans and the 
um, the English preparing to fight each other. Yeah. And there's lots of drums and you know, yeah. they're savages, savages, barely even human. Um, yeah. And and it just reminded me of that just because I literally watched that yesterday. <laughs> no, but it, I, there is kind of that. I have seen that scene. Yeah. And there, there is kind of that feel to those drums as well as there's something rousing to combat about mm-hmm. them and when grinning i think the biggest we see him grin in this episode with flame is rising behind him just in case the devil symbolism wasn't enough yes uh. yes there's an interesting standoff between the two of them with their guns that they both just stand there and take it because when aims and fires at spike three times each time intentionally missing him and just almost hitting him and you know this display of skill yeah uh, one of which just grazes his cheek and spike does not respond in the slightest <laughs> I know. and then spike taking a breath lifting his gun doing one single bullet and it going straight into wen's forehead and when expecting throughout that this isn't going to do anything presumably because he's been shot before and it's like yeah. this is a game for him yeah he does kind of flinch but then smiles yeah thinking oh it's That's just fine. a bullet yeah. i've dealt with this before and then he starts aging yeah pretty rapidly yes and again possibly a symbol there's something weird going on is so if he was say 10 when this happened and it was 50 years ago he'd be what 60 so mm-hmm. you know obviously older than he looks as a child mm-hmm. but he the way he ages he looks like a hundred yeah more or, than yeah how you'd imagine somebody might look if they live for like thousands of years somehow and he asks uh do you understand mm. do you saying he's at, he feels at peace now. Mm. Finally, I can die. And that moment was really, it felt out of character because you have at no point seen him, you know, you certainly don't feel like he wants to die. I don't know, I... He's reckless with his life. Yeah. Because he hasn't had any reason to be worried that he would mm. die. But he certainly, it doesn't seem as though he's been seeking self-destruction. No, not necessarily, but he also doesn't really seem to be living for anything. He keeps playing the harmonica as well, which... Yeah, like he's stuck in a loop. Yeah, like he's tied forever to this moment of trauma. So even if he didn't necessarily realise that he needed this relief, Mm. I wonder whether this is maybe, if you get on board at all with my idea of there being kind of two personalities in there, Mm -hmm. maybe this is... The human part of him is the one that's relieved to die. Yeah, I, yeah, I can certainly see the, how how that would line up with with your suggestion. Yeah, um, yeah. We don't see anything. There's nothing to suggest that this second being, if there is one inside him, there's nothing to show it leaving his body or it dying. No. Well, there's the body aging and there's it glowing with this light. So you wouldn't really know how that would be represented. There no, isn't... this is true. I don't know how an evil spirit that's kept a 10-year-old alive would leave a body once it's eventually died after yeah. 50 years within said body. So you're not wrong. I don't have a frame of reference. If you wanted to be really obvious about it, he could like open his mouth and the ghost could come out or something. But and I think... sometimes I want an obvious you know, demonstration. Sometimes that's what I want, Sam, all right? So oh. sue me. So your position on do you understand is no and... Damn it, why don't I? I (laughs) Yeah, so we just, we have obviously, he ages and dies. And then Spike decides to have a quick go on the harmonica. Hmm. Doesn't work. Yeah, another thing that doesn't make sense and suggests something supernatural is going on here. Do you not think he's just, I think it takes a certain amount of skill to play a harmonica. Uh, It takes a certain amount of skill to 
play it well, but just to blow on it and get a noise out of it doesn't really take any skill. I suppose. So, yeah, it's not like it makes a bad note. It just doesn't make a note at all. And then he throws it very high into the air, Mm -hmm. has a moment to say, do I understand? Yeah, sure. Or Or, something like that. Yeah, I think it's yeah, sure, or like I do. I think in general, the dialogue in this episode leaves things much more ambiguous in the the Japanese than it does in English. Yep. Yeah. For instance, there's a motif in the English where they say, get the picture, instead of, do you understand? They they both say, do you understand at the end, but do you understand is more consistent in the sub, uh, kind of open to more interpretation, maybe. But but what you were saying earlier, you know, I'd forgotten that Spike died before. Mm. And that does add a different meaning to that moment. Yeah. Where maybe he does understand. Maybe he does. Or he hasn't quite understood yet, but he's on a journey that could... Or he doesn't want to believe that he understands. Yeah. Yeah. If you have more to say about that, go for it. I'd better shut up at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have anything else to say about it right now, but it's made me think about it because I had forgotten about that bit of backstory. Uh, But yeah, that is the end of the episode. He throws the harmonica in the air and then he points a finger gun at it and says, bang. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Moving on. Moving on. Oh, so Jet Black Space Dad. I did have another potential candidate for yes. that, which was when Faye is complaining about wanting the money from the ring and Jet's like, I've got a present for you. And she's like, oh, give it to me. And he's like, there you go. It's an invoice. <laughs> I think I, I agree that was like, it was a notable Jet, Jet Black moment, but it wasn't Space Dad to me. That was quite prissy. <laughs> Oh no, it was it was quite pretty, but the, the thing it reminded me of was, oh, you're bored? Well, I've got a treat for you. You can go and mow the lawn. <laughs> I get the that. I can I see I can it. see that perspective, yes. I, I I'll admit I am stretching for Jet Black Space Dad stuff in this episode. It's not a very Jet Black Space Daddy episode. No, Space Daddy. <laughs> Jet Black Space Daddy. <laughs> Should we not linger here? Yeah, let's not. No. So um rankings. Yes. So I think having looked back at my rankings from previous episodes, I think I'm I didn't I didn't love it. Like this was one of those episodes where like talking about it was interesting, but actually mm. watching it, nah, it was too quick for yeah. me. There wasn't enough to hang on to. So I think I'm going to put it in fifth, so second to last position. Okay, so for you that's behind Gateway Shuffle but ahead of Honky Tonk Women. Correct. Yeah. I kind of have similar things about it in this. It's one I think about a lot, actually, this episode, but it's not really that much fun to watch. I don't know. I'm I'm quite torn on this one because with the others, I've been fairly sure about, like, what tier they're in. Like, Ballad is an all-time classic. <laughs> uh, Asteroid Blues and Stray Dog Strut are kind of somewhere in the middle, and then Gateway Shuffle and Honky Tonk Women are less good. Yeah, which and we more or less agree on the order. Yeah, but I'm really not sure what tier this one goes in. I think it has high highs, but also there's just that feeling of emptiness. It's like someone had a really cool idea and then didn't back it up enough. And yeah, or there just wasn't enough time for it to breathe. There's too many scenes almost. Mm. I think I'm just going to stick it in the middle. I'm going to stick it third, which is below Asteroid Blues and above Stray Dog Strut. So we disagree a little on this, but... I think it has moments at the top and moments at the bottom. (laughs) Fair enough. So Georgie has now watched the preview. And it was noisy. Um, (laughs) Well, the episode is called Heavy Metal Queen. That is the name of the next episode. And I don't know if I'm hearing heavy metal through, through this little preview, but there's certainly some crashy rock and metal happening. 
I was very much enjoying the additional voiceover from the characters that's clearly not part of the episode itself where they're just saying, is anyone understanding this? This is a lot of noise, (laughs) which I found entertaining. Some of the visuals look really different in the little snippets I saw, but there's like a whole bunch of different characters and random bits of action and then just a cat uh, licking (laughs) some, some milk out of a glass and then Spike is wearing like a grey tank top thing and that threw me because that's the first time we've seen him wear anything other than his own blue suit yeah the blue suit and we've seen him be topless in the first episode but I don't think we've ever seen him wear anything else nothing in the middle no yes but just the fact that he's wearing something else I'm like what are you doing and then Faye was in the background with a face mask um, like as in like a um, like a cucumber mask thing. Yes, yeah. yes. And then, so Faye was then holding a gun to someone who looked like a big meaty dude. And then there was another meaty dude who was wearing a flat cap thing. Um, and then there were people who looked like they were part of a band and wearing interesting outfits. And there was another spaceship that had graffiti all over it. Like, ooh, we're cool dudes who have a who have a space rocket. Um, Sorry, this is like a five-year-old describing a party. Well, what Currently. do you want from me, man? <laughs> it just, was like just lots of ands. Yeah, and then, and then, and then. <laughs> well, it was twenty seconds long, and it was just flash image, flash image, flash image, noisy stuff. Nah, what do you want from me? <laughs> I don't know that. I was just making fun of you. All right, fair enough. <laughs> Basically, it looks like a fun episode, and yes, I think I, I'm wondering if this is going to be the sort of episode that Georgie enjoys because it's just straight up silliness entertainment, and that Sam's like, yes, it's acceptable. <laughs> But where um, is the depth? No no comment. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, right, so it appears there is nothing left to say except see you space children with a monstrous heart of evil trapped inside you. Oh, that was smoothly done. Are you so proud of yourself for doing that first time? Yeah, very proud. <laughs> okay, end of take six. <laughs> If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at realfolkreviews at gmail.com, look up our Facebook page, or find us on Reddit at u slash therealfolkreviews. Thanks for listening.